evening everyone welcome to evening dhamma so we finished talking about the purifications today I thought we'd go back to go over the Satipatthana Sutta a discourse on the foundations of mindfulness So what we're practicing is insight meditation, which is the insight part is a lot of what we've gone over in the past days, but it's based on the four foundations of mindfulness. So the actual practice we do is mindfulness. And when presented, it's quite a simple practice. You know. Remind. Remind yourself when you see something, you remind yourself seeing, seeing. When you feel pain, you remind yourself pain, pain. When you have thoughts, you remind yourself thinking, thinking. Emotions, you remind yourself liking, liking, or disliking, 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 and that, that's your mantra, you repeat it to yourself. And that's the practice. There's not a lot more to it. I mean, practically speaking, that's really all you need. But intellectually, to help us understand why are we doing this, to help give us confidence and to remind us to be mindful there's always a there's a lot of explanation we can do we can give and reassurance through through explanation giving talks to meditators is often just about reminding them and giving them encouragement rather than actually imparting any kind of information it's not a lot of information you need, but sometimes there are reminders and I need things to be pointed out to you and and certainly need to be reassured. So the Satipatthana Sutta gives us the, it lays out the practice in some detail about how to practice for Satipatthana it starts by telling where the sutta was taught in the Kuru, the land of the Kurus which is interesting but only uh, from an intellectual academic point of view what's useful is the next section where the Buddha says Ekayanoayang Bhikkhuvi Mago this is the Ekayanamanga. A lot has been said and, and argued about this phrase. It's quite often translated as the only way. This is the only way. I suppose literally it doesn't actually mean that, but it, it does appear to be in some way what the Buddha is saying 
Uh, the language might not be so strong as saying there's no other way than this. In another place, the Buddha did use such language to talk about the Eightfold Path. He said, Eseva mago natanyo. Natanyo means there, are, there is no other. This is the path, there is no other. Uh, even that could be interpreted and is interpreted differently. It's hard to imagine, though, that anyone could become enlightened without practicing mindfulness, right? If you want to see, you have to look. Without looking, you can't see. Without seeing, you can't know. So it's this looking in some way, some form or another. If you're not paying attention, if you're not present, it's hard to imagine how you could possibly become enlightened, cultivate understanding about reality. The commentary offers several definitions of ekayana or ekayana manga of this what this means. The first one just means that it's 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 one way. I'm not quite clear what that means. A single way. It's not a double way. So uh the Buddha didn't teach many ways He only taught one way So it's not a question of whether there might be other ways But there is only this one way Or this this way is only one way It's not either do this or do that It really is just be mindful The way of the Buddha is the way of being mindful Or else the way of mindfulness is just one way But then it gives some alternative definitions. I mean, that one actually doesn't mean a lot. So it's the it's it's ekayanamaga because one has to be one has to practice for oneself. And it says it could mean that it's the way that has to be practiced by one. No one can practice for you. Unlike other spiritual traditions where. You can be saved by others. Buddhist soteriology. Is uh, you must save yourself. You must find freedom for yourself. No one can can change your mind. You know, and and medicines and. Uh, Drugs. A lot of people argue that that psychedelic drugs are going to be a support for the practice. Not really. There are things that can support. Other people can support you on your path. But in the end, it's got to be. You've got to practice on your own. Or alternatively, it's the way of the one, meaning it's the way of the Buddha. You won't find this this way anywhere else. It's kind of remarkable that no one else ever taught mindfulness the way the Buddha did. Remarkable, I guess, because now it's it's everywhere. 
Everyone is talking about mindfulness. I don't know if anyone could claim that there were other teachers besides the Buddha who ever taught. It's an interesting point when people try to say that all religions are basically the same. Well, did anyone ever get so far as to teach mindfulness besides the Buddha? Do you ever see Jesus Christ? Is there anything in the Bible, the Christian Bible, anything in the Quran? I don't even think you see that sort of thing in, in any other Asian religions. Thinking about Hinduism, all the Upanishads, is there anything about mindfulness, the Jainism, the Jains? It's an interesting question. Of course, we would generally just dismiss it and say, of course not, none of these people were Buddhas. And that's interesting because we don't normally associate that with the Buddha's omnipotence or the Buddha's great wisdom. Yes, it was mindfulness that was the great thing that the Buddha... I mean, it's a part of the great thing that the Buddha taught. It's the practice that the Buddha realized was important. The Buddha realized was the path. So it's the way of the Buddha. Or it just means it is the way that goes in one direction, ekang ayati. It means it only leads to nibbana. You practice this and it, it doesn't lead anywhere else. Practicing mindfulness couldn't lead you to hell, for example. Mindfulness couldn't give any, any bad result. Unlike other potentially wholesome states like effort, concentration this is why it's so hard to talk about wrong mindfulness is because mindfulness is always good mindfulness only leads in, in the right direction only leads to good things And so what are these good things that it leads to? We don't, I think, I mean I talk about it quite a bit and I know my teacher does, but I think Buddhists in general aren't really, um, I mean I think we should talk about why we're practicing mindfulness. You don't often hear it associated when people use the word mindfulness, talk about Buddhist mindfulness. We don't often hear about the reasons for practicing mindfulness and the Buddha first thing he said was why we're practicing he gave these five reasons so this is the path that leads to these five things it sort of sets the tone and, and tells you what the Buddha's focus was what was the Buddha teaching what was he preaching no. what was the purpose of his teachings what was the goal he had in mind when he taught mindfulness? So the Buddha had these five reasons. First is the purification of beings. 
He taught mindfulness because it purifies. Purification, of course, another... It, it, purification is something we see across the various religious traditions. You know, in, in India, it's a famous example, they would purify themselves through water. In Christianity, baptism, I believe, must be something to do with the purification of, through water. There are ritual purifications, uh, purification through smoke, that kind of thing in different traditions. There's purification by confession and so on. But I thought the purification comes through mindfulness. Uh, this is what we just went through, right? The, the seven purifications. So first of all, he was very much concerned with purification. It's a point to make about the Buddha. It's, it's not unique. Purification was actually a big thing in, in the time of the Buddha. This was a key word that people were using, it seems, as a reason for why they would go off into the forest. They were trying to free themselves from the the defilements of ordinary life. You know, you get so uh, defiled, uh, sullied by desires and conflicts, delusion and arrogance and attachment and all sorts of things. So how to purify yourself? This is the question and here is the Buddha's answer. Purification comes through mindfulness. Not from avoiding or rejecting or suppressing our, prob our, our mind states but understanding them. I mean there's something very profound uh, very important about the Satipatthana Sutta in that even the bad states, when it talks about the hindrances, the mind states that are clearly troubling and troublesome, it talks about being mindful of them, not running away or trying to change them. And that's how the Buddha said true purification comes about. Because of course, through seeing them clearly as they are, one no longer reacts and through not reacting they don't and they don't have any power the second result of practicing mindfulness is dukkha domanasa nang atangamaya Wait, sorry. Second one is Soka Parideva Nang Samatikamaya. To uh, overcome sorrow, lamentation, despair, all kinds of all kinds of problems. And the implication here is that purification or a pure mind is what allows one to solve all of one's problems. I mean, this is very much one and the same. When your mind is pure, then the mind is not caught up with depression and anxiety and 
despair and, and disappointment. And it is, it is, there's a key difference here between trying to get what you want, trying to be happy all the time, through accomplishing or achieving all of your life goals and desires. Something di quite different from between that and uh, learning to free yourself from the desires, to free yourself from the need for the need for satiation or satisfaction or the need for always getting what you want so these are the, and these are the two alternative ways of always being happy to always get what you want or to learn to give up wanting so when your mind is pure there's no room for there's no potential for depression anxiety no potential for disappointment no potential for Mourning loss, fearing loss. The third result is is freedom from suffering. just very very much seems to be talking about in a very practical sense you feel pain what's the cure for pain mindfulness you have mental suffering what's the cure for mental suffering mindfulness it's quite curious it's not what we especially for physical pain we certainly don't think that being mindful of the pain is going to cure it and in fact it's quite clear that when you begin to say pain, pain it doesn't get rid of the pain even with mental anguish in the beginning it seems quite clear that mindfulness isn't going to do anything about it sometimes when you're mindful the, the, the anguish, the despair the sadness gets worse It's a different way of solving your problems. I mean, the idea is to see that they're not actually problems. Even your problems. I mean, when you're sad about something, sadness is a perception, hey, this is a problem. It's inherently problem-seeking. The mind state that is sad, even the mind state that is in pain, is, is inherently negative. It's a negative reaction. This is bad. That is bad. And that can't exist with mindfulness. When you're mindful, 
negativity can't exist because of that and it sounds incredibly naive or simplistic to say but it's simple it's not simplistic it's, it's that there's no suffering when, when you when you're mindful when you stop being negative you can't suffer so when we talk about overcoming or, or freeing ourselves from physical and mental suffering we really mean we, well we really we mean freeing but in in a very different way it's not about some magic trick that makes the pain go away it's about looking at that negativity hey this is pain this is bad or hey this is experience is bad it makes me angry or sad or frustrated and changing that so that if someone's yelling at you it's just hearing Someone's beating you, it's just feeling. It's somewhat of a radical way of looking at the world, I guess, right? That sounds very radical. But here's the question, no? We, we, we have re this thing we call reality. And the very first question we should ask, that we never asked and was never posed to us so what are we going to do about this thing called reality what are we going to what is our, our purpose what is the point we got caught up, right okay, here I am, born a child, there, these are my parents we never thought to ask what the heck is going on <laughs> right? we didn't have time we had to eat we were hungry, we had to play, we were playful. And then on and on and on through life, and we never stopped to say, wait, what am I doing? What is this all? Right? We don't ask these fundamental questions until much later, and by then we're steeped in culture and, and wrong views and all caught up in our own likes and dislikes and it's very hard to be a philosopher. So it's very, you know, we, we hold wise philosophers in great esteem. Is because it's not easy. And it's very easy to have a wrong philosophy or a philosophy that is flawed. That's why you have philosophers arguing with each other, even the really good ones. And then you have people who who have a fairly deep philosophy but can't actually practice it because they're too caught up in their own addictions and their own uh, problems mindfulness is an answer to this very fundamental question it's not a question of hey how am I going to live my life no it's like what is going on right here and now how am I going to relate to reality it's not about being a good person in society, that's a much later question that's a much more uh, abstract question the very real question is here, now, what's going on? how do I relate to these experiences that I'm having here and now?
And so it does address at this very fundamental level the problem of suffering. So at this level there is pain. How are you going to react to that? There is sadness, there is anger, there is attachment, all these things. Mindfulness is this low-level interaction with reality. It's at the very fundamental, basic level of interaction. That's, of course, what's so powerful about it, because it then cascades and, and affects every part of our lives. frees us from all kinds of suffering because all kinds of suffering eventually come down to this experiential reality the fourth uh, result of mindfulness is that it sets you on the right path I've talked about all these before this is something that I talk about a lot the right path and this is what we've gone over for the past weeks um, the right path is more about a way, a way of being rather than a, a way of a place that we're going. You're not really going anywhere. I mean, that's probably doesn't need to be uh, doesn't need to be emphasized too much because it's, you know, it's quite clear. It's about changing who you are. The way is about coming to live your life in a certain way of experiencing reality in a certain way. But what it, it isn't is I must become a monk or even Buddhist or quit my job, this or that, go and live off in the forest. doesn't mean any of that. The way is, is, is mindfulness, right? I mean, that's the key here is what is the right way? It's not too complicated. I mean, all that talk about the Eightfold Path and the Seven Purifications quite interesting and useful but it's not even so complicated all of that comes about through the practice of mindfulness and finally the the fifth result of practicing mindfulness what is mindfulness is the path is the path to nibbana mindfulness is the path to the deathless mindfulness is what leads to that which has no beginning and no end, that which doesn't arise and doesn't cease, that which is outside of samsara. Through mindfulness one experiences freedom from suffering in, in a viscer very visceral and real way. I mean, it's not just some abstract, hey, I feel pain and I don't suffer. It's really and truly this freedom from this experience of complete release complete cessation it's the most peaceful thing it's the only peaceful thing that is true and and unadulterated peace that's nibbana freedom from suffering so that's the first part of the sutta that's the first thing the buddha says it's by way of introduction and then he says what is this one way? It's the four satipatthana. And then he goes into explaining the satipatthana. So I'll go over all this, and then we'll get into each one in each section, and we'll go through each section one by one. Today we talk about 
something that should be familiar to many of you, why we're practicing. What are the reasons, what are the benefits? What does it mean? What does it mean this is the only way? So there you go, that's the Dhamma for tonight. Tomorrow is no no meeting. Tomorrow we have sutta study, I think. Questions? One question tonight. Do psychic powers naturally develop through meditation or must they be actively worked towards? Um, it can be both ways, but I mean, meditation is work. It's an important point in response to this question. Um, Nothing comes naturally because meditation itself is work. I say that I think we often get the idea that meditation is something where you don't work, you just sit and let things come to you. So, I mean, the, the question really is how are you meditating? Are you meditating in such a way that these psychic powers will be will arise i mean there are many types of meditation that are where it's unlikely for the mind to go in that direction mindfulness isn't highly likely to give you magical powers because you're not working in such a way i mean it's not mysterious these things come from highly cult highly cultivated and um, trained minds. So if you're not training your mind in that way, they're not really going to arise. But they can be incidental. If, if your intention is a certain way, but you happen to be training yourself, your mind happens to be training or, or building up habits that have some connection with magical powers, like any kind of summit of practice, your intention is not to gain magical powers, but your mind is becoming so strong and so fixed and focused that it's not hard for it to be then uh, nudged over into cultivating psychic powers. So they don't. They don't. I mean, it's, they don't come naturally, but the power of meditation many kinds of meditation can be applied to various kinds of psychic power or you can just outright cultivate those that state of mind that that um, leads to psychic power so 
the one question tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.